This podcast from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. Faith Bible Church is a Christ-centered Bible teaching ministry dedicated to bringing the good news of the gospel to the whole world. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And now for this week's message from Pastor Alan Battle. Our reading is from uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in man's heart. Yet so he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. This is the word of God. Koheleth is the Hebrew word from which we get the title of the book Ecclesiastes, which is one of the wisdom books that we're studying in our series called Ancient Wisdom, Modern Times. Koheleth is the name that the author gives himself. Your translation either says teacher or preacher, but Koheleth is best understood in modern terms as the professor. And from the rest of the information that he gives about himself, we know him to be none other than King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Now, the professor has gathered a class together in order to give them the benefit of his wisdom and his experience from the perspective of someone who has had all the money, power, and achievements humanly possible. He's using all of this knowledge in an attempt to make sense out of the world. Or as he phrases it dozens of times throughout the book, life under the sun. This life is from the perspective of a secular man who does not have the benefit of God's revelation. His conclusion is voiced throughout the book also many times that life under the sun is nothing but vanity. It is a quickly disappearing mist without any meaning. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, says the professor. But when we get deeper into his seminar, he reveals that he is really just playing the devil's advocate. He's merely wearing the mask of a cynic. Periodically, he gives us glimpses of the meaning of life from above the sun. 
Last week we saw that life under the sun cannot produce satisfaction through pleasure or accomplishments or the accumulation of wisdom even. Few have reached the heights of success that this professor did. But those who have, have inevitably come to the same conclusion as him. This is superstar actor Jim Carrey. And he sounded very much like the professor when he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Well, thank God that we don't have to have the experience of Jim Carrey or the professor to find that answer. The answer comes at the end of chapter 2 when the professor takes off his mask and says, to the one who pleases God, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. And one of the major themes of this book is the monotonous routine of existence through time. The endless cycles of nature and the constant drudgery of everyday life that goes on generation after generation. What was done will yet be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Now chapter 3, where we are today, begins with a poem that catalogs several reoccurring events for which there is a particular time. There's a time for everything. In this passage, we're going to see those things from two perspectives, from time and from eternity. So first, let's look at the things that we do in this life from the perspective of time. We begin with a poem in verses 1 through 8. Ecclesiastes 3.1 For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. Now, is this just more of the professor's pessimism? He's already said that what was done is going to be done again. Is this just a more detailed record of the same old, same old? Once when I was working at the Kmart Distribution Center, our crew was standing at the time clock at the end of the day. And I was talking about some of the things I needed to get done when I got home. And one of my friends said, what are you going to do? Itemize the mundane. And that phrase struck me. Itemize the mundane. It got me to thinking. For the believer, is there really anything that is mundane? Now, there's two definitions to that word. 
mundane. The first is what he meant. It is the stuff of the daily grind, the routine, the uninteresting. But there's another meaning that comes from the Latin word, the Latin root of that word, mundum. It means pertaining to this world. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that everything we do in this life as believers has otherworldly significance. So I stole his phrase and I wrote a poem. And I, I never really wrote one before this. And the only ones I've written since were when I was first gaga in love with Jesus, with Gina. <laughs> anyway, this poem wasn't very good and I've lost it. Uh, but I do remember that it ended up with the proposition that simply giving a cup of water to someone in the name of Jesus was anything but mundane. So we can look at this poem from either the worldly perspective and see everything as meaningless repetition, or we can take our cue from the very first line of the poem where he says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Now notice, he doesn't say under the sun here. He switched it. He says under heaven. And I don't believe that's just another choice of a word, a, a synonym for the sun. Um, the, the Hebrew word is shamayim. And it can mean the sky, as it does in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But even in Genesis, it is also used for the place of God's abode, his holy habitation. He is the God of heaven. The angels are the hosts of heaven. Psalm 11.4 says the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. And God looks down from heaven and sees all the children of men. He hears our prayers from heaven. And he thunders his word from heaven. So if we read this poem from the perspective of heaven, then all the matters of life have a meaning. They're not vanity. They are actually all parts of God's sovereign plan. Yeah, we're stuck here in time. But eternity is coming. For us, time is bounded by two sovereign acts of God. Verse 2, a time to be born and a time to die. Every headstone has two dates, the date of birth and the date of death. And our time is represented by a little dash separating those two. None of us can choose the time that we are born, nor can we choose the time that we die. Nor can we choose the days that we've been given. Job says, man's days are determined and that God has decreed the number of his months and has set limits that we cannot exceed. And then Psalm 139 says that God ordained all of our days before we were ever even born. Now you might say, well, those who commit suicide, they decide what time they're going to die. But God can stop a suicide anytime he wants. In fact, how many failed attempts have you heard about? 
So we have this set number of days in order to do all the things that God has planned for us to do in this life. The remainder of the professor's poem is a list of positive and negatives. A lot of people want God to be a magic genie who makes everything wonderful, who protects us from the tragedies of life. And when he doesn't, they get mad. But that's not the way life works under the sun. As long as we're here, life will be plagued with toil and sorrow. You know, Job asked his wife after the loss of their children and their wealth, shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And God told Adam that because of his sin, he would have to earn his bread by the sweat of his brow. Which leads us to the theme of the next line. Ecclesiastes 32, second half. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. You know, planting is hard work. You have to prepare the ground. You have to irrigate. You have to keep the weeds out. And you don't get to decide when to do it. If you decide to plant in the dead of winter, that's going to be a problem. But God has designed this world to work in a particular way. And if we don't conform to it, we are the losers. But if we do operate according to God's plan, we're going to reap a harvest. Everything in life is like this. Though unlike planting, the timing isn't always so obvious. Verse 3, a time to kill and a time to heal. Is there ever a proper time to kill for the believer? Well, the answer is yes, according to this verse. If you're a policeman or a soldier under God-ordained governmental authority, there is a time to kill. And it is actually a good thing, according to Romans 13.4. And then couple this with verse 8. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. It was right for David to go to war and conquer the enemies of Israel who sought to destroy them. And it was just as right for his son Solomon, whose name means peace, to end the wars once their borders were secure. Yet Solomon maintained a massive army and stockpile of weapons just in case they were needed. And it was a good thing to hate the aggression of the Japanese and the Nazis in World War II. It was the proper time for the United States to enter that war in order to stop them. And if you're protecting yourself or others from imminent harm, that might be a time to kill. And what about self-defense? The Old Testament provides for this when someone breaks into your house. And when Jesus was preparing his disciples for their ministry after his departure, he advised those who didn't have a sword to sell their cloak in order to purchase one. All these things are also done under the authority of the government. The laws of the land permit self-defense and the defense of victims.
But there's also a time to heal. Blessed are the peacemakers who seek out opportunities to end violence. It takes wisdom to know the proper times for each. Now let's look at verse 4. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Every one of us has experienced loss. And weeping and mourning are the proper responses to loss. The stoic refusal to feel anything is not what God wants. God himself wept over the grave of Lazarus. And on the other hand, God wants us to experience joy. We need to laugh and to dance when it's appropriate. This legalistic tendency to avoid fun is simply not godly. It's ruined many a Christian witness. I knew this couple who refused to enter into a restaurant at a company Christmas party one year because it started with a cocktail hour. So they waited in the lobby until dinner was served. You know, the rest of the employees, they couldn't help but notice this. And I also encountered some legalistic Russian Christians who, when I asked them if they got together to do Russian folk dancing, the guy got indignant. He said, no, we're Christians. I thought, well, I guess they're not familiar with this verse. A time for dancing. (laughs) But there are several other contrasts in this poem, like building and tearing down, searching and giving up the search, showing affection and abstaining from affection, keeping and throwing things away. I think that should be the motto for that show hoarders. That's a time, time to throw away. I'm not going to take time to comment on every one of those pairs, but you get the idea. Uh, each one deals with the ups and downs of life. And from the perspective of time, they're repetitive and seemingly meaningless. But the professor is going to take off his mask once again, and he's going to give us a view from above the sun, a view from eternity. So, at first, his conclusion seems similar to the way he looked at life in the previous section. He says, what gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And you you expect him to say in the next line, and it was all vanity, a chasing after the wind. But he rips off his mask and he surprises us with this. He has made everything beautiful in his time, in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Now, you remember that song by Ray Stevens in the 70s, right? Everything is beautiful in its own way. Everything? Everything's beautiful? Yeah. There's a time for everything, and everything is beautiful. But death is beautiful? Or weeping is beautiful? Losing is beautiful? Even war is beautiful? Yes. From the perspective of heaven and eternity, they're all beautiful. And I don't believe that it was an accident that the professor 
ended that poem in verse 8 with the word peace. Because when all is said and done, when this life under the sun comes to an end and is replaced with a new heaven and a new earth, there will be peace. And the human heart knows that that's the way that things are supposed to be. Look at the second half of that verse. God has put eternity into our hearts. And we can never be fully satisfied in this world. We're made for something better. And we know that right now we just see things through a hazy mirror. But one day we're going to see Jesus face to face. For now, we don't need to know what it's all about. We don't need to figure it all out. He finishes his sentence about eternity in our hearts with this. Yet so, he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We can't find out what he's done because we are still on this side of eternity. You've probably heard this illustration before, but it's so fitting here. Life is like a tapestry. Today, in time, we can only see the backside of the tapestry. But one day, we're going to see the front. The famous author and evangelist Corey Tinboom wrote a poem based on this idea. Here she is with Billy Graham, who turned her book, The Hiding Place, into a film. I hope you've all seen that. It's a really good movie. Anyway, uh, here is her poem called The Weaving. My life is but a weaving between my God and me. I cannot choose the colors he weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows, he loves, he cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. So armed with this knowledge of God's sovereign plan, you and I can enjoy the ride as much as he allows. He urges us to do that. Look at verse 12. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. What a relief. I mean, I can rest in the knowledge that God has it all covered. When I live for him now and trust him for the future, I can have true joy. It doesn't mean that I can just coast. No, there's a time for everything. And everything matters. And the time is short. And I must redeem the time because these days are full of evil. There's this mysterious partnership between us and God. On his side, he has a perfect plan, and it can't be altered. Look at verse 14. 
I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Nothing can be added or taken away from God's plan. Yet we have a part in it. And that begins with the fear of God. Fearing him means that we bow before him in awe as our master and our creator. It means obeying him as our Lord and participating with him in his plan. And one day we will give an account for everything that we've done under the sun. The professor ends with this. Verse 15, And that which is has already been, and that which is to be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. So even though life under the sun seems to be a never-ending cycle, it will one day come to an end. And it will not have been meaningless. God is going to require an account from everyone. Look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. How will our stories be written in the books? Will they show lives that lived with everything being done in its proper time? Well, how can we know? How can we know we're doing everything in its proper time? Well, the psalmist was concerned with these same questions. Psalm 90, verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. The psalmist is crying out for wisdom to know the proper time for everything. He came to the same conclusion as the professor. The key is to consider God's anger and wrath and to fear him. When we do, we can number our days. That is, we can pay close attention to everything that he has for us to do here. But we need wisdom to do it. And that can come from only one place. From someone who can see the tapestry from the front side. From someone who can gently lead us through all these ups and downs in life. And there is such a one. He's the only one who can do it. Listen to Jesus as he speaks to those of us who are living under the sun. In John eight twenty three, he said, You are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. 
But whoever will believe in him will not die and will be given eternal life. You and I on our own, we can never do everything in its proper time. But Jesus did. He never missed a step. He was without sin, but became sin on the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And now, when those books are opened, the judge on the great white throne will see the perfect deeds of Jesus woven into our stories, incorporating us into his perfect tapestry for all eternity. Let's pray. Praise you, Father, that we can trust your plan even if we don't understand your plan. Lord, help us to seek your wisdom as we walk through this life. Lord, that we find the good works that you have created for us before the foundations of the world and that we might walk with you and glorify you and enjoy the things that you've given us, Lord. So we praise you, Lord. We ask that you reveal yourself to us more and more as we go out into this week. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the preaching of God's Word from Faith Bible Church in Reno, Nevada. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you and that the Word of God will fill your hearts and minds as you walk through this world. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would like to make a small donation to help defray the cost of this podcast, just click on the green Support Us button at the top of the webpage. Thank you.